0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Formula One-on-One podcast. This week, we have the 2022 Grand Prix de Monaco, also known as the Monaco Grand Prix, I guess. I don't know. Um, Yeah. As always, please follow us on all our socials at F1on1Pod on on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And without
1: further ado, we can just hop right in. Sash, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Justin. Honestly, just finally glad that it's summer. Finally glad that you know we have more F one racing, even though it is at what I will discuss later as probably my least favorite track on the F one calendar. You're, so okay. I don't know sense... if I would even call this. I don't like this track that much, but I don't know if I'd call it my least favorite. No, I would definitely say this is my least favorite. Like I've watched previous Monacos, and this is maybe like the most boring place. Like. I guess you could make an argument for a track like Paul Ricard, right? But like last year, Paul Ricard got made fun because Red Bull had a good strategy and then Max ended up chasing down Lewis. So it was at least entertaining to watch. But Monaco, Justin, we joke about this a lot, is the F1 car parade because it genuinely does feel like that for 78 laps and an hour and a half of everyone's Sunday morning where we just watch these cars go in circles. And this is like, if you're a new person to F1, this is probably like the last race you
0: want to watch. Yeah, but it's also like the most hyped up race because of like the history that is behind true.
1: It. That is true. I mean, it is part of the motorsport triple crown. But I'm I'm just I'm just very anti Monaco for a plethora of reasons. But anyway, to continue with your intro, <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: I wish we could have recorded this episode together like we planned to, but unfortunately, Unfor- I found out I had COVID the day after we we recorded the uh what's it called checkered flag episode for spain and
1: yeah <laughs> obviously you know
0: about this already like this isn't the first time you're finding out yeah and yeah, I, yeah. I, i'm grateful that you you did not end up catching it which is like a miracle to me but i i unfortunately am, am in quarantine right now i'm being isolated in my in my room at home so i've had a boring yeah. couple of days so i'm excited that there's an f1 race at the end of it um i mean The whole thing with Monaco for me, at least, is like, I don't think Monaco is the worst weekend because I find Monaco Saturdays to be very, very fun because as we're as we'll obviously get into later, like there's not a lot of overtaking on this track. So it does become very important where you qualify. And so I feel like you'll see drivers push like to the absolute limits, like you'll see their tires Mm -hmm. kissing the edges of certain apexes. So it, it does become very fun at least in the Saturday session, but then um, obviously, yeah. like we'll talk about, the, the race itself is not is not the greatest thing anymore. Um, especially with how big the cars are now. But before yeah, exactly. we start getting into the circuit itself, let's give a little update on the standings currently. So, for the WDC Top 5, in first, after Charles's DNF, he didn't gain any points obviously, and Max won the race. Um, so, he ended up jumping up in WDC standings. Oh, also, as I predicted, I'm just I just want to say this again. I predicted that this yeah. would happen. Max Verstappen is now in P1 with 110 points, Charles P2, <laughs> 104, Checo's in P3, uh within one race of Max actually exactly 25 points behind with 85 points. George Russell's at an impressive P4 with 74 points, Carlos Sainz at 65 in P5 and then the WCC Red Bull took a pretty nice leap over Ferrari with their second consecutive one two. Um they're in P1 obviously right now with 195, Ferraris P2, 169, Mercedes P3, 120, McLaren P450, and then it's and then it's the rest of the team. So you know, (laughs) it's nice that we're getting some shuffling around the top. And Ferrari now have Mm -hmm. cut out the work for themselves again. But it's nice yeah. seeing that there's going to be some flip flop this season. And I would not be surprised if at the end of this weekend, you know, maybe Charles was back on top or maybe Ferrari cuts the lead. Um, You know, you never really know, at least with the races so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, Justin, F1 in Monaco is all about Saturday now with these cars and how big they are, because it is. I would almost say impossible to overtake. You'll see some very fringe and risky things like Charles Leclerc overtaking around the Grand Hotel hairpin or at turn 18 or something crazy like that. But, you know, where you qualify is very, very important. And, you know, we'll discuss this probably in circuit analysis. But, you know, for cars that have struggled so far this season in qualifying, my first thought comes to Mercedes, you know, they have not been the best qualifiers but when they come to race especially we saw it in spain right that they do have that race pace but if they don't have that in qualifying then it's kind of going to be all for nothing and this might be a little bit of a salvage weekend for them but at the same time we do know that a lot of teams run very different setups Uh, as compared to normal races here at monaco it's a very high downforce low grip kind of place so you need to be optimizing the mechanical and technical side of your car as much as you can because at some point, you know, your drivers are really going to need all of the help that they can get, especially with how, um you know, challenging a track Monaco is, you know, all slow speed, maybe some medium speed corners, but nothing truly, truly high speed. I mean, just like looking at circuit I mean, analysis, Sector Justin... Sector 3 is like pretty fast, but other than that... That is true, yeah. Yeah, just like Sector 1, you kind of have that like uphill climb, and then Sector 2 is the really windy bit where, you know, you have the, the Grand Hotel hairpin, you have... Um, like Turn 8, which is pretty much a 90-degree right-hander, and then you have, like, a very tight chicane. It's, like, it's very technical on this track, and, you know, I think that it'll be... It's interesting to see how the drivers handle it, but at the same time, when it comes to actual racing, I don't know. I don't know how much, uh, you know, interesting stuff we'll get to see.
0: Yeah, I... I don't know if we're going to see any, like, re... It's not like we're going to have wheel-to-wheel racing, and we don't have, like, these super amazing super tight races every single weekend but going into Mm -hmm. monaco it's one of those races where i feel like most of the time you kind of like you know what you're gonna get going into it and exactly yeah like (sighs) i like the races but as i mentioned during the miami episode i also really like the spectacle of it all i know some racing purists aren't as mm-hmm. big fans and i know you're a big person who just like really loves the racing but i i love the spectacle of it all and i feel like monaco's this really historic track that makes it super super fun almost like you know you're gonna have a fun weekend it's it's a bunch of rich people looking at stuff and there's yachts everywhere and it's <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool because you're like man i hope one day i get to do that and you and you know you won't because like you you don't evade taxes like the monoguesque but um sorry that was, that was so out of <laughs> that was so out of pocket of I mean, all the like, stances have,
1: for us to have all the stances for us to take like first it was like we don't like saudi arabia for like their questionable sports washing and the next time we bring something like that up is monegasque people avoiding taxes the, it's like this is the comrade
0: are, f1 podcast oh dude you know that should have been my turn one <laughs> trivia question like how many of the current f1 drivers have like their residence in in monaco or like actually as don't. their tax okay haven. so i know
1: like i know landon so I know, like, morris just ooh, did
0: it i know i'm pretty charles obviously does it i'm
1: pretty sure max yeah. does it max lives in monaco lewis lives in monaco um who else i mean like i know isn't Nico Rosberg? i mean he's not current but doesn't he wasn't he I like, mean, from if monaco making, or, like if you're making if you're making that there, much
0: right? money i don't blame you especially since you're all over the world <laughs> anyway you might as well like reside yeah. in a place where you get to save your money because god forbid you have to pay taxes and you know, <laughs> give your fair share of everything but hey that's none of my business <laughs> um anyways we can probably jump into circuit analysis now before we lose any of our uh, conservative listeners so do you want to start off with that
1: <laughs> yeah i mean monaco very interesting track 78 laps which is the most la- well technically second most laps we've ever had on an f1 circuit but the circuit is short at 3.337 kilometers. And this then becomes the only circuit on the F1 calendar that does not reach the target distance as outlined by the F1 guidelines. I think a common theme that we're gonna see with Monaco is that it breaks a lot of the typical convention, whether that's the F1 rules or just the actual racing order of things. Obviously Monaco much shorter. I think it's short by like fifty or sixty kilometers of total races. Forty seven point seven
0: one four. I just did the math while you were
1: talking about it. Oh, okay. It. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: because the the just for anyone who's listening, the regulation is that they look for about around three hundred eight kilometers um for each race, but with mm-hmm. Monaco being seventy-eight laps around a three point three three seven kilometer circuit, it only comes out to two hundred sixty point two eight six kilometers so okay. they are Welsh short of that but uh i i don't really mind it to be honest do yeah, the monaco I mean, gps end up being shorter like i don't really know what the no no okay they still end up being like an hour and a half most of the time
1: half yeah just because of like how slow like because this is also the track that has the lowest average speed so you know even on the main straight or on the tunnel straight you're not really getting much of like uh what's it called like you're not making up any of that time that you were losing in the slowest corners. Um, you know, F1 has raced here, Justin, every year since 1955, we yeah. have raced here in like, I think 50, 51, then like 52, 53, 54. We had a break for some reason. I don't know why, but since 1955, every year we've raced here, obviously 2020, there was the COVID cancellation, but that happened to a lot of races. So we're not really counting that. Um, another interesting thing in the last six Monaco races, we've had five different drivers win. um, so, you know, maybe potential for someone new to introduce themselves and I guess kind of make their spot because winning Monaco is definitely a very prestigious thing. It's a it's definitely like I would say a legacy booster almost like to say that, oh, yeah, I've won in Monaco and, you know, it's cool. the drivers that are. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean, there is one driver who we constantly slander that has won in Monaco that I don't know, but, you know, we Daniel Ricardo <laughs> I know, I he's know. won in Monaco but and it's that's one of my favorite
0: Monaco races 2019 it, it was a very like he did drive
1: 2018 2018, 2018, 2018, 2018, 2018 that's what it was yeah um but I'm hoping for a new winner here I think that is it's a very good record that we've had five winners in the last six races so hopefully more of the same well, hey
0: maybe if Charles uh, Leclerc can finally get to the finish line that is true
1: that is true. I mean, he has had some horrible luck in Monaco the last few years, or every single year ever that he's raced there professionally, I should say.
0: And even um, when he's not racing professionally and just doing a showcase of an old car, <laughs> cough, cough, <laughs> Nicky Lauda. How, like... Yeah, Nikki I mean, okay, to be fair, that one was, like, completely not his fault. It's because the brakes, like, yeah. failed on him. So I'm glad yeah, that he yeah. ended up being okay because that could have been, like, a pretty bad crash. But, you know, he's okay, yeah. which is good.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess the next important thing about this DRS zones, there is one DRS zone down the main kind of pit straight that we have. But like, if you look at it, and you look back to previous Monaco's, I cannot remember the last time we've had an overtake using DRS going into turn one. Yeah, like, and, and I was telling
0: you about this earlier, like, the the two places where there's, like, really long flat-out sections, like, under the hotel from 8 to 10, and, like, obviously the DRS zone from 19 to 1, and I guess, like, sector 1 is, like, mostly flat-out up the hill, but you can't really overtake there. Like, the main issue mm-hmm. is going into those straights, there's, it's, like, extremely slow corners, so it's not like yeah. you can really get a nice, like, jump on someone by, like, accelerating out much better because the difference in speed is, like, so minimal most of the time that you're, yeah. like... There's no way you're going to get that much of an advantage over someone. And I think you mentioned that like Max tried to overtake Lewis in the turn 10 one time, but the track is just not wide enough. And that's one of the, I think, biggest mm-hmm. issues. Um, and, and we talk about this all the time. Um, and I even mentioned it earlier that the cars are just so big now that uh, a track this mm-hmm. narrow can't really support an F1 race, but they obviously are going to come like come back to it because like you said it's been they've been racing here since 1955 but like it just sucks because you know it's an f1 world championship and you want racing but if it's like if it's one calendar one race on the calendar out of like 20 plus races that's just for show like so be it and it's not like there's no racing skill at all because like it's one of the few tracks where qualifying is like the Literally the be all end all of your weekend. Like if you fuck exactly. up qualifying, you're done.
1: Yeah. I i mean I think that's a very good point. I think, you know, we also see that how narrow the track can be, and there are definitely tracks that have that feel very narrow. I mean, we've talked at length about Jeddah and how narrow and, you know, oddly shaped and the turns can be very questionable at times. But this is definitely one of those tracks where I think that you kind of overlook a lot of the uh I guess, red flag, so to speak, of, you know, the circuit design, how actual racing would pan out. And you kind of just say, okay, well, this is just something we've done in the past. It's historic. It's an important part of not just, I would say, F1, but also, like, world motorsport history as a whole. Oh, you man. know, obviously, people like Ayrton Senna have won six times here, Graham Hill, Michael Schumacher. Like, these are all very big names. And people from around the motorsport world, whether that's NASCAR, IndyCar, you know, World Endurance, like, they all talk about the Monaco Grand Prix as one of the most prestigious races um, that you can win as a driver, even if it's maybe not the most competitive race all the time. And it's kind of just dependent on how you drive your car, on saturday morning yeah exactly and like just to touch one more time on like
0: overtaking because you know Mm -hmm. it's non-existent like we've always said like the only real spots that you mentioned on our node stock was that like turn one is technically possible but only in the capacity that like whoever's in p2 has to get the jump on them and it has to be a good one exactly it, it it's not a cheap overtake by any means, but it's like one of the only ones you're going to get. And I think that also becomes interesting because then Monaco comes kind of like a pit strategy, but because everyone's mm-hmm. pretty much going to be wanting running a one-stop race because this track is not exactly exhaustive on your tires, there's like, I don't know, there's no real issue here unless you machine your nut onto your car like
1: uh, <laughs> Mercedes did last year with Baltas. But... I don't yeah. know. It just kind of Yeah, and I mean it's it's interesting you bring up Potas because he was he ended up being like second on the grid after Charles didn't start last year in Monaco. So You know, he almost pulled off a jump on Verstappen at turn one, but it's just so difficult because you're kind of on the inside here on Monaco if you're P2, and being on the outside at in P1, you have like the better apex and turn. So unless your start is basically miles better than P1, it's I would say that even overtaking at turn one on lap one is pretty much like... You just kind of have to chalk it up and hope for the best. And like you said, pit strategy becomes very important. Hopefully you can pull off an undercut and gain some track position. I know that's something we haven't really touched on at like other races because there have been decent overtaking spots, but I think, you know, obviously this is a very track position dependent, uh, race. So if you're not, you know, qualifying well, or if your strategy isn't done well, you're pretty much just resigning yourself to, okay, I qualified here. This is 99% where I'm going to finish the race on Sunday.
0: Yeah, but I also think that even makes the races sometimes a little bit interesting because we always talk about how there's so little spots to overtake. But obviously, call, like they are going to attempt to overtake each other because they're race car drivers. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. So they exactly. try yeah. to do it in like pretty creative ways because there's not like, oh, this this is the best spot to do it. Like We literally saw Charles do it around the hairpin one year. Exactly, so we know yeah. it's possible to do it there. But it's just, like, it's so difficult that you're, like, okay, this is, like, this is
1: probably not even that safe
0: for them to be doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, even when Charles goes around the outside, or I forget if it was on the inside, like, you are taking up, like, the car on the inside has to be on the curb at the hairpin, and you're probably, like, barely touching the wall if you're the car on the outside at the hairpin, right? Like, the amount of space is probably the bare minimum to fit the width of two F1 cars through that corner, and... I don't think you're going to see that consistently. Obviously the Charles thing that was like once in one race that we've seen in the last five or six years, right? Like this is not something I would bet any sort of money on or hold my hopes up for to see that kind of move. I mean, maybe someone is feeling a little bit dangerous and is feeling confident in their ability and tries to send that overtake. But, you know, I think that is very interesting. I mean, Again kind of going back to the track being narrow Justin your apparently least favorite segment No no we can't analysis. we can't bring
0: this up we can't bring <laughs> up that like I
1: made fun of your
0: safety section in the note stock one time because now everyone's going to think I'm like rooting for the drivers to crash into the wall and like get seriously injured But sure <laughs> no, sure man, go ahead with know. your with your safety section because I feel like this is actually the the one track where like if you didn't already come up with it I would have been like we need to talk about safety here
1: yeah obviously monaco as with other things that we overlook from the f1 guidelines monaco is the only track on the f1 on the circuit calendar that does not meet the formula one safety regulations now this is a combination of it being too narrow not having like proper barriers and also this is like can you blame the monaco organizers like they're working with public roads you can't expect them to have tech pro barriers along public roads like 365 days of the year or basically expand the roads you know Monaco was built on the harbor you know how can you expect them to change what is the entire layout of their city to accommodate a race that happens once every year for three days right like it feels very impractical so like i understand why it can't and why it's not practical to expect them to meet safety regulations but you know as we've seen like incidents at other tracks and how they've made improvements to their safety it just feels a little like Are we brushing this under the rug to be like, oh, Monaco, the spectacle of racing, which is like, like you said, Justin, it's great that we have like so many celebrities that come to Monaco and enjoy the weekend, whether it's watching from their yachts or watching from the paddock club or watching from wherever, right? But at the same time, it just feels a little like, mm, should we be okay with our drivers doing this? Like, even Charles's crash last year on Saturday qualifying after he had pretty much locked up pole position, like, he was going pretty fast into that barrier. And obviously the, the cars are very well built to protect drivers if they do collide with a wall. But at the same time, it just seems a little like, you, you can't help but worry maybe after seeing things in the past. I don't know, maybe that's just me. No,
0: no, I totally agree with you. If they don't meet safety standards, I think that they should, like, have to seriously reconsider whether they can host a race Mm -hmm. or not. And obviously, Monaco is going to be like, yeah, we can host a race. But the FIA should be like, well, we want you to meet safety standards because our drivers, like, like if you actually respect them, you would do it. But Mm -hmm. the drivers, I think, like racing in Monaco. Like, it's a fun event, obviously. And if I was an F1 driver, I would want to race in Monaco. Like, I think that's extremely cool. And I feel like it's just... I feel like it's one of those things where, like connects F1 through all the generations where like everyone Mm -hmm. knows about Monaco because everyone has seen a Monaco race like you can go look up footage from when Ayrton Senna was racing and you'll see oh yeah cool like he's the king of Monaco pretty much and then you can like literally look at it now the track is exactly the same pretty much Mm -hmm. and you get to see today's F1 driver so I think it is a cool intergenerational thing that you don't get with a lot of other tracks but like you said like that doesn't mean we should discount the safety
1: yeah. I mean, if you even look at previous drivers like Mark Webber, he was Sebastian Vettel's teammate at Red Bull in Vettel's championship years. He said you'd never design a track like this today. Even Michael Schumacher, Justin, you know, noted F1 speed demon and arguable goat of the sport. Michael Schumacher said that Monaco is an unsafe track, but it's OK to drive once a year because it's so fun. And, you know, obviously, we've said F1 drivers, they love the challenge, they love the history, they love the prestige of driving here at Monaco. At the same time, like, should we be like, how should we be handling that kind of stuff? Right? Because I don't know, it just feels like there's a lot that's left to be Justin, what are you doing? Oh well, I, I. There's no good way to
0: explain this to the people listening to the podcast. So
1: why? Why are you okay for those? Well, for everyone that's listening, Justin has put like sticker dots on his face that look like he's about to do motion capture for a movie. Um, I don't think you were doing mocap for the podcast, but no, I just, I just I just have diversion. leftover
0: stickers from this Lego set I was building so like uh, oh is this is this the lego
1: set that i think you're building yeah yeah I well I, I actually
0: finished it it's the for anyone yes. wondering it's the mclaren like lego technic set i just finished it last night because you know i have an abundance of time being in quarantine by myself so <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah. like in total i spent like 14 hours building that not just last Jesus. night but over the course okay. of like me building it okay wow i was i was seriously considering getting it would you would you recommend for the building experience? It's really hard, I'm not going to lie, but it's re- it's a really cool build. I'm like
1: okay, interesting. But
0: but the one mm. thing is um with like the newer version of it cuz they have an updated version where yeah. I guess like Pirelli was like hey, you can't use it anymore. So some of the newer oh. like shipments come with stickers that just look like like the tires look so much more stupid because instead of like the Pirelli logo it's, like, with, like, mm. the cool blue line around it. It's just, like, yeah. blue kind of flame-looking things that'll look cool when they're oh. moving. So mm. um, if I were to get it, I would make sure I got the Pirelli one because they look super dope. But, dude, it was, like, gotcha. super hard. They're, like, the front suspension took me, like, like, I messed up a single step, and I spent probably an hour and a half fixing it. And Ugh, my hands God, hurt, wow. like, hell after it. Because there's so many like okay. small intricate parts, and I'm stupid. Like, what do I look mm-hmm. like an engineer?
1: No. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but you know, Justin, I think we've kind of dunked on the safety of Monaco enough, and rightfully
0: so. Probably, this is the one time yeah. I'll be like, yeah, the safety is important. But once we're at whatever track we are <laughs> um, in, like two weeks, I'll be like, man, not the stupid safety section again. I hate this.
1: Well, actually, we will be in. Azerbaijan and Baku in two weeks so that's another street circuit but they are very they actually have very good safety there. Um, Again, I guess like there's not really much else to talk about when it comes to circuit analysis like this is kind of the F1 parade that we alluded to a lot earlier unless something A happens with pit strategy B happens with DNFs or C someone triggers a safety car and then everyone bunches up and then we get like some dramatic racing I guess and people getting desperate to win a Monaco race. Um, I don't know, Justin, do you have anything else to add when it comes to the circuit analysis?
0: No, I don't think so. I think we covered everything. I mean, like we said, it's just like, it's not the best track for racing, but it is going to make for a cool Saturday. I, I think this Mm -hmm. more than ever is the best time to have F1 TV because getting to watch all the individual drivers is, is very, very fun, especially when, when they're on the track at the same time. Like I know I have like two laptops and my TV, so I'm going to put, and I have like (laughs) Um, because F the the native F1 TV is so bad. Like anyone who uses it that's listening will 100% agree because you can only change through like one driver, one perspective at a Mm -hmm. time, which doesn't make any sense because they offer like data channels and like who's where on the track, and, like, who would only watch that. It doesn't make sense. Right. So I have to use a third-party app called F1 Viewer, which is wonderful. But it's not the easiest installation in the world if you're not, like, familiar with using, mm-hmm. like, Linux commands. So it's, like, probably kind of difficult right. for some people who are just, like, trying to watch F1. Um, But I use <laughs> F1 Viewer. Um, And then there's another one I use called Race Control, which I think is pretty good. But gotcha. it allows you to, like, put multiple different screens on at the same time like i can split my monitor into four quadrants and it'll sync all of them up so it's pretty good um okay but yeah it's one of the things i i do really like about the monaco weekend is that like i do get to have those fun setups where i get to watch like Mm -hmm. all the different drivers at once and get to see who i want to like i love watching charles drive like monaco at Mm -hmm. any at any time because he is clearly so good at it and he has just gotten so unlucky in terms of like, you know, he's never finished a race right, there. Yeah. You know, every time he's in F1, he's either either a DNS or a DNF. Whenever he was in F2, he did right, not. Yeah. He never finished a Monaco race. So like, do we do we think that this year maybe he will finally get to the end? I, I, I don't know. I think so. I hope so. I, I hope so as well. I hope in P2 yeah, yeah. or P3 maybe or maybe out of the point. Yeah. But
1: yeah, well, hey, who knows? <laughs>
0: This, wait, this is a genuine guess, question.
1: Okay, so yeah. last
0: last week after Lewis Hamilton had that puncture on lap one, he was like, we should just save the engine. But obviously he went back to get P5. And Spain is not typically a track where people like can overtake a ton, but he, he put in an awesome drive and did amazing. But let's say hypothetically, like something awful happens during qualifying and you have to take like an engine penalty, send you to the back of the grid. And you're like a front runner team, like Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes. Like, is it... Obviously they would do it because it wouldn't make sense not to, but like how much would it suck to have to start from the back? Like I wouldn't, I would rather just save my engine at that point. Cause I, even if you can no, like I, I just physically don't see a way you can work your way to the front at that point.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, Monaco, I don't, I don't know what the highest, like, or I guess I should say what the lowest starting position is that resulted in a win at Monaco or even like maybe lowest starting start that resulted in points perhaps, but that like wasn't heavily impacted by other people's DNFs. That was maybe just purely done on driver skill. I I don't know. I feel like Monaco might be a track where like, I, I don't think this is a case for any of the teams to my knowledge that would take engine penalties or power unit penalties right now. Just because like if you're going to take them anyway, like you may as well take them this weekend where there isn't a chance of overtaking or maybe the the thought can be converse, right? Like you might want to take it at a place like Austria where there is a lot of overtaking capability and you have those three very long DRS zones. And, you know, you can maybe work your way back up from the bottom of the field and chalk up some points or, um, you know, get a positive result out of it. I, I don't know. I feel like a forced DNF is kind of like a cop out anywhere like i wasn't the biggest fan of hamilton when he was saying like guys maybe we should save the engine which is in fairness that mercedes power unit was new for spain it was the like they had replaced all the parts and you know they were just running a new engine as teams do and within the allowance i am obviously like happy that he was able to drag it back up to p5 or p4 or whatever but you know i don't know i feel like monaco maybe it's the one track where like a lot of things we can kind of brush Force DNF under the rug and kind of move on with our lives.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't really think I have anything else. I mean, you kind of summed that up nicely for me. We can kind of go into our next section of other updates, just like around F1 in general. So, uh, mm-hmm. I think one of the most, well, only because I love to slander him so much. So I kind of want to skip to this. <laughs> uh, the McLaren shakeup, because Zach Brown has said that quote, short of Monza in a few races, um, the partnership has not met his or our expectations of what we were expecting. And obviously, this mm-hmm. is re- referring to Daniel Ricciardo, because he hasn't really done anything important this year at all. Which is very concerning, because yeah. as we mentioned, nearly every single, po- every single podcast, we're like, we gotta stop dunking on him. And then the next podcast, we're like, listen to this listen to this awful thing about daniel ricardo (laughs) i can't wait to talk about it but like when zach brown says it you know you Mm -hmm. have to kind of take that to note and start to wonder is something going to be done about his seat i know we talked about the potential swap with him and pierre gasly but obviously gasly hasn't been performing so like yeah what 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 are your thoughts if you're zach brown here because if i'm zach brown i'm looking for another driver Mm -hmm. like for maybe not for this season, but maybe for next season.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the the intricacies of like changing out Daniel Ricciardo, I guess, are very interesting only because Daniel's contract does run until the end of next season. I personally in F1, I think for a team like McLaren, where, you know, you have to be pushing for as high in the constructors as you can go, as high in the driver standings as you can go. You know, they are a very historic team. They have prestige. They have a legacy to uphold. Daniel Ricardo is not doing it for them, very clearly. I mean, Justin, I texted, like, our group about this. Lando Norris, last week, when he had hay fever and tonsillitis, his median race pace lap was almost a second faster than Daniel. Like... I understand that Lando is probably one of the future faces of F1, and he is, like, a very bright talent. He has shown us what he is capable of with multiple podiums. He has a pole position. Like, we know what that kid is capable of. When you are Daniel Ricciardo, and, you know, if you— Justin, let me put it this way. If someone told you four years ago in 2018 that after Daniel Ricciardo won Monaco, that he would be a struggling driver at a midfield team, what would your reaction have been to that? Well, I don't really know if anyone thought McLaren
0: was going to be a struggling midfield team. I don't think McLaren was even. No, a no, no, no. I so mean, like,
1: like, like I think Daniel oh, like Ricardo being thing, a
0: struggling driver. Oh, like I Daniel mean, Ricardo is a struggling driver in a midfield car. Like, I, it would be very hard to believe because you know, even after Monza last year, everyone's like, okay, maybe he's finally coming back. And I didn't buy it because I, I always think you need more than one race to back something up. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I just don't have that proof yet i feel like he does this thing where he'll have an amazing race and really get your hope it like it reminds me of the the philadelphia phillies they they get your hopes up every (laughs) year and they'll have like a good game or something and then like the next day they will remind you why like they are not as good as you want them to be and that's what daniel ricardo is he will have a good race monza and then all the daniel ricardo fans will refuse to talk about any race that happens after Monza, like, exactly. it, is, it is crazy to me how people will turn a blind eye to the rest of the absolute garbage results he puts up the rest of the year, just because he got one race win, finally, like, good for him, and I'm glad yeah. he got a race win, but that doesn't mean he's not garbage after and right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we look at Daniel Ricciardo's results for this re- this season, Justin, P14 in Bahrain, DNF in Saudi, P6 in Australia, P18 in Imola, but he got a couple of points from the sprint, P13 in Miami, P12 in Spain. So good like, job. He's come on. never in the point, minus that like P6. Yeah. And the sprint. Exactly. I... When it comes to like changing up drivers, Justin, I think the we talked about Pierre Gasly a few weeks ago as a potential switch from AlphaTauri. I, I don't know how I feel about that anymore, just given how Pierre has performed so far this season. But also just like maybe Pierre is destined to be a Red Bull person forever, or maybe there's another seat in his future. I am really interested by the prospect of Pato Award from IndyCar. He has been really, really... He's been performing very, very well. He drives for Arrow McLaren, so he's already kind of underneath that McLaren banner. It wouldn't be a difficult, you know, kind of switch-up. I know there is currently an existing agreement between Alpine and McLaren that allows Oscar Piastri to race for McLaren should one of the drivers not be, I guess, able to fulfill their race duties for a weekend or however long. I don't think that that's going to be converted into any sort of long-term buyout. I mean, I did mention that, like this is something that could come into play. I don't know how Lando is feeling, you know, if he's recovered from his hay fever, if he's recovered from his tonsillitis or, you know, how he's feeling going into this Monaco weekend. But, you know, there is a potential that like, if Lando can't drive, then like, what are we, what are we doing here with Oscar Piastri? Maybe he gets a chance to drive a McLaren in Monaco, but longer term, I think you have to look outside of this because right now I see no path in which Daniel Ricciardo extends his contract at McLaren I, well, well, well. I also, doesn't...
0: he he already did. Like he already has like a long term contract now. Like they really no, no no. Daniel Daniel is Daniel is done at the end of next year. Really, I thought he had like a three year contract that he just signed. Yeah, three years starting
1: last year. So this is year two of three. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah,
0: 2021,
1: 22, and twenty three was his contract.
0: Okay. Um, Lando look, I'm signed back checking you right now just to make sure. Okay. Sure. But yeah, works. go ahead. Keep going.
1: But I, I think that if you're Zach Brown, if you're Andreas Seidel, if you're McLaren ownership or the powers that be over there in Woking, I think you have to you have to be seriously considering like what your deal with Daniel Ricardo is, because it is a significant amount of money to buy him out of his contract and basically release him and waive him and make him a free agent, so to speak. But when it comes to how you're going to replace him, there aren't many options, right? Like a lot of people are locked down on long-term contracts. Otherwise, you have to wait a year or two before people's contracts expire and you can start negotiating. You also has as McLaren, have to build a championship contending car. All of these drivers, they do not want to be kind of relegated to midfield seats. They want to be driving cars that they know they can contend for race wins in. So I think there's a lot of work to do at McLaren. I think that If they want to, I guess, one, first support Lando well, but also to develop a car that can contend for constructor's championship, you need to find someone who's very capable. I mean, I think there is a lot of talent out there in F2. You know, uh, we talk about someone like Oscar Piastri a lot. We see someone like Yuri Vips at Red Bull. I I mean, his contract is probably extremely hard to acquire, but... I think there are a lot of interesting options that McLaren can pursue. But if I was McLaren, I would definitely look more seriously at bringing Pato Award from IndyCar into F1.
0: Do you know if Pedro Award has any like formula racing experience
1: before this? Um, I don't know, actually. I mean, this is also something that is very like easily fact checked, I guess. But like, I guess if we look at open wheel racing, I mean, he, oh, he F2. He has raced twice in F2. <laughs> like two seasons um,
0: or two races
1: two two races okay wow um, that would be like a pretty he massive was, jump yeah i mean like it would be he has a lot of like american racing like he has a lot of open wheel racing which is like i guess it's as close as you're gonna get to f1 or like formula in yeah that's that's united, fair in the united states um you know he at Arrow mclaren he's won he won in alabama um two weekends ago or a couple weekends ago. He has, like, multiple race wins. He's He was third last season in the IndyCar Championship, right? Like, I feel like there's enough, I guess, experience there maybe that you can lean on. And he would be a rookie, and I obviously there's a learning curve for anyone. Even even someone like Zhou Guan Yu or Yuki Tsunoda coming in as rookies, you know, last year or this year. There's a learning curve even from F2. So I feel like that's an interesting option they could pursue.
0: It is, but... You know, you never really know what they're going to do at this point. And I, yeah, I looked it up. Mm-hmm. It, his contract ends at the end of the 2023 season. So he has this year and next year if McLaren want to keep yeah. him. But um, I guess that's really just up to Zach Brown and McLaren at this point. Uh, the yeah. other thing that I think we should talk about is the like the new races that could potentially be happening.
1: Yeah. So we obviously know that Las Vegas is joining the calendar next year. Um, we know that Qatar is coming back, not at La Salle where we raced in 2021, but at a new purpose built circuit. I don't know if it's a street circuit or if it's like a circuit circuit like La Salle was. I guess more details to come hopefully later this year when the track gets built and then, you know, they push uh, to completion by next year, I guess. But the main important thing about the 2023 calendar is that there's likely to be a lot of reshuffling and reordering of races, only because F1 is trying to now meet their carbon neutral goals that they set, I think, by 2030 or 2035 that they want to meet. Um, we are also, Justin, approaching this F1 hard cap of the number of races we can have. Reportedly, we're going to have 24 races next year. We could get up as high as 25, that's too many I don't know races. how you feel about that. It's too many. Yeah, um, Like, this year was supposed to be 23. Half, like,
0: yeah, I was going to say, that's literally nearly half the weekends of the year, um, which is yeah. kind of ridiculous, asking mechanics to be available for literally <laughs> half the weekends because it's not like they're just there for the weekend. They're there for the whole weekend. It's like they're traveling all over the world, and I know that's what they signed up to do, but exactly, it, it's a lot for any team, and it's going to be super expensive, and I understand that maybe with grouping these races together. Like you have obviously all the Asia Pacific races, then you the the Middle East races, the European races, the Americas, like you can group them together and make it a bit easier. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like you still have so many man hours that you need to put in to this, to make this all happen. And I don't think it's feasible. And I also just think it's too long. And maybe that's just like, I don't even know what, where that comes from, but I like that's so many races to watch and it, like me, obviously the drivers would do it if they're asked to do it. But like, as a fan, do you really want to be watching like 25 races a year? Like that is a lot like 23 already feels like a lot to get to a world championship, especially because obviously excluding last year, most of the time we know who it's going to be like 15 races in. And then those like last seven races are like for any th- last minute theatrics in the middle of the field. Um, but for the most part, like you already know what's going to happen and there's no point in really like extending that much longer. Like, I guess I just don't get the point of it. Like, but obviously it's so F1 can make more money, but
1: I personally, I don't, I don't think I want to see it. Yeah. I mean, like if you look at the locations where they're racing, it's not like they've picked bad places to like grow the sport. Right. I mean, I know people will complain about, oh, like Miami, people are already complaining about Miami. Like, oh, why does America get two races? You know, we are getting a street circuit at Las Vegas, which like it's Vegas. It's going to bring in a lot of money. It's, I think they're trying to turn it into like a second Monaco, but then they also made a fake Harbor at Miami. So I don't really know what the goal with Vegas is, but I feel like this is just F1 trying to grow themselves as a business rather than as a sport, I think, right? Because think about how much money is in 25 races, right? Like, we talk about Monaco and it being a bad race, but Justin, I guarantee you, Monaco is probably the highest like earning race, right? Probably. Of, like, by also, far, Also, it's just because so many
0: rich people go to it, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know if there are, like, average people, unless you're, like, a quote-unquote... I don't know what the average citizen of Monaco is, right? But, like, when Have I say Have you seen citizen, the cars that
0: mean. drive on the street? They're, yeah, like, pretty yeah. much all very rich compared to, like, other country standards. Yeah.
1: And it's like, you know, sometimes people will, like... There are, like, I've seen TikToks of this, Justin, where people will, like, go out onto their balcony, and it's, like, they overlook the pit lane. And it's, like, at that point, like, you don't even have to pay for tickets, right? Like, you just live in Monaco, and you get a free view of, like, 90% of the racetrack, which is really cool. Don't get me wrong. But also, like, (laughs) come on. Like, how can you compete with that at other places, right? Where you're at these purpose-built circuits. Like, think about Spa, Justin. It's in the middle of the Ardennes Forest. Who is driving to the middle of the Belgian Forest to watch an F1 race, right? Like...
0: I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. And I, I don't know. I, I just think it's a cool experience overall to get to go to Monaco. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, not everyone yeah. gets to do it. And, dude, honestly, I've seen on TikTok, like, some people are like, let's do Monaco on a budget. And then the budget is, like, $5,000. Oh and I'm like, okay, yeah. well, clearly we are in very different tax brackets here. So, brackets. I don't... <laughs> like, your, your budget is my, like, extravagant trip of every five mm-hmm. years, probably. So... I don't yeah. know. I I am happy that people of Monaco get to see a cool race, I guess, but it's yeah. not like the—I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing with, like, this race calendar reshuffling is that, like, we'll get more of these races that are in the same area closer together— so you know, obviously we have Asia Pacific, which comes into play with Australia, Japan, and Singapore. So hopefully Australia will be back as a season opener. I mean, I don't mind Bahrain, but I know Australia has been a like historically season opening track. Then we have the Middle East with Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Abu Dhabi. So maybe Abu Dhabi is no. I was going to say, do you really ender. think Abu Dhabi would like
0: allow F one to not have them as like the final race? Because I'm pretty sure they pay like extra money just because they get to be the last race of the season.
1: That's, like, I guess the contingent thing on that, because okay, that maybe gotcha. you split this Middle East leg in half, where, like, you do Australia, Singapore, Japan, then you go to Bahrain and Saudi, then you do, like, all the European races, then you do all of the America races, and then you do, like, Brazil to Qatar to Abu Dhabi, I guess, um, which is what they did last year anyway, so I, like, I guess that's a thing, but... I, that that's pretty much the main point is that maybe the orders of the races will be a little different. Um, so just something to keep an eye out for another thing, Justin, that we've brought up a couple of times rain in Monaco forecasted. Um, could it happen? I, I haven't looked at the weather yet. It's it's for it's forecasted for Sunday, not Ooh, Saturday.
0: Ooh, A wet so, Monaco race could be very interesting. Very
1: interesting, man. Exactly. I can't wait I mean, to watch
0: <laughs> even less cars pass each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I hope that it doesn't rain because at least, like, we'll be able to see the cars well and, like, things work out. But that's kind of it. I guess another fun piece of news, Justin, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. They have voice cameos in Lightyear, uh, the Disney movie that's coming out in a few weeks. Um, I don't think their character has been announced. They voice different versions of the same character. I'm going to assume Charles for Italian and Carlos for Spanish. So, you know, maybe that's just something a little cool to look going to. I don't know what your thoughts that. That's like. going
0: to be a fun, um, like, bar trivia question in the future. Like, how many current and former F1 drivers have voiced a cameo in, like, a Disney distributed animation movie? Because Lewis has done it in Cars 2. Did, did Sebastian Vettel also do it in Cars 2?
1: Okay, so, like, just off the top of my head, I know Michael Schumacher is in Cars 1. Yep. I know Lewis Hamilton is in Cars 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. I know Sebastian Vettel is in Cars 2. I know Fernando Alonso is in Cars 2. I know Vitaly Petrov is in Cars 2. as oh my Russian, God. Like, dub. Um, I guess Carlos and Charles now in Lightyear. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else, like, notably. Yeah, I, I can't, like, think of any other major languages. I mean, I don't know if anyone's done, like like french f1 drivers maybe oh wait no i know um emerson Fittipaldi did like the portuguese dub in cars too something like that Maybe wow. I'm,
0: but i'm honestly impressed with how much you knew there like I, w- <laughs> I honestly only have like four come to mind but i guess you're just an encyclopedia <laughs> of knowledge which is why you always get our turn one trivia i try to be...
1: questions yeah yeah um but i think that's kind of it for other updates so before we get into turn one trivia we'll be back Learn more at marines.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. It's now time for Turn 1 Trivia. Justin, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first?
0: Uh, I'll go first because I, I actually, like, finally put some effort into a
1: question. Oh, okay. For once in my <laughs> life. Okay. Hey, 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 don't don't put yourself down. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles question at Imola was pretty funny. <laughs> okay, okay. This
0: one is actually like probably the first time in a while that I did an actual F1 related question and not just oh, like related okay. it to the country. Okay, so last year, Monaco 2021 shared a characteristic uh, that only occurred at four other races, Russia 2017, USA 2005, Monaco 2003 and San Marino in 1994. Do you know what that characteristic is?
1: Okay, well, you said San Marino 1994, and my first thought is people died at that race, Justin, okay, but, well, like, I don't think anyone died at Monaco last year, um, and I don't think anyone died at U- U- USA 2005, is that what you said? Yes. USA 2005. That, oh, well, that's not CODA, that's Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what was it, and Russia 2017?
0: Yes, In Monaco 2003.
1: Russia, twenty seventeen. Who won that race? Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Um. And Monaco, two thousand three. And wait, it's like a wait. Is this like related to the drivers or like something that happened during the race? It is a characteristic of the race. <sighs> um. Okay. Let me try to think. Like things. That, okay. So Monaco, we didn't have any like weather related things. Um. That only happened at. Those three other races or four other races. Wow, what? Like, um, uh, I wow, um, this is like really difficult. I don't know what this is. I'm trying to like think of anything that's like
0: you're gonna be, you're gonna be so mad when you don't real, like, when you realize what it is
1: or right after I tell you. Okay, so I'm trying to think like who the winners of these races Okay, so Monica 2003 did is it okay? Is it that? the driver who won no cuz that's that's like so stupid um uh hmm is it like the um wow i'm like actually struggling just, to like just think throw of out, anything throw that like um is it that the driver who won that race went on to win the wdc like that's all i can think of <laughs> no so in the history
0: of like rec- where this stat was recorded San Marino 1994, Monaco 2003, USA 2005, Russia 2017, and Monaco 2021 are the five races that have zero recorded overtakes.
1: Russia 2017 had no overtakes? Yep. Oh, dude, we like literally talked about this earlier as well, damn it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, That's so I was going
0: to say, this is like, you're going to be so mad when you don't realize it because we've been talking about how garbage this place is for overtaking and- I, I was curious about it, because I was like, oh, well, what about the DNF? I guess DNFs don't count as overtakes. So, yeah, there were okay, no overtakes last year.
1: Yeah, wow, okay, that is, wow. Are that was a no good question. Indianapolis? Yeah, wow, okay, that was actually very insightful. Now I'm thank like, you, thank you. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, my question also relates to F1, and it does bring in Monaco, but also, like, it will test your knowledge on other circuits as well. So maybe, like, <laughs> zero oh, in. I'm, so, I'm Justin, sh- get as we have... Here. okay. As we have, as we've, as we've discussed at length about the lack of overtaking at Monaco and how important qualifying it is, it would appear that Monaco, or we, we might have pushed the propaganda that Monaco pole is the most important thing. Actually, Monaco has the high ninth highest pole to win rate conversion. So there are eight circuits where pole wins a higher percent of the time than at Monaco. Can you name, I guess, so there are eight, so can you name four of these tracks?
0: Oh my god, dude, definitely not. Um, do you mind if I ask how many of them were racing on this year? This year? If if I'm allowed to ask that.
1: All of them. All of them. All of them. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I guess And I'll I'll, I'll give you an extra I'll give you an extra hint like at any point on the calendar. So we might have already raced there or we might be going there in the future.
0: Okay. Ooh. Um <laughs> Like is there a minimum number of races to this
1: um, I all of these places have raced for at least ten years. Okay. Uh, um, well, wait, 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 wait. That might be a lie. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I think we've I think we've raced at all of these places for at least ten years. <laughs> or well, one of these tracks this year is its tenth year, so nine years at least. Wow.
0: Okay, but still, like, um, what's it called? So, uh, fuck, dude. Honestly, like i'm struggling here to think of like any of them so i guess like my first thought with this would be like you know think of tracks where it's hard to overtake um mm-hmm. and like obviously the first one i think of is is monaco there right so i'm gonna go monaco's with monaco's number nine Mo- monaco's obviously number nine like that's the whole point here um i immediately yeah. want to go like like spain right spain is number one. Oh, really Okay, I didn't think it was gonna be that high. I just was thinking of it because we raced there last week, and you know we have a lot Mm -hmm. of. uh... But it is number one. Okay. Um. Ooh. Okay. I want to go with Singapore. Singapore is number two. Oh. Okay. Okay. I'm kind of on a roll here. (laughs) Uh, Let's see where where else am I thinking that it like could be kind of hard to overtake? I guess like. What about like Montreal? Montreal is number eight. Montreal's number eight. Okay, wait. I want to go till failure here until I mess up one. Okay. What about? Okay. Where else? Where else could it be? So I already have Barcelona. I already have Singapore. I already have Montreal. Where else is it? Like kind of hard to pass. Um, I'll go with France. France is number three. Okay. Japan. Japan is number seven. How many do I
1: have? I already hit the
0: four. Threshold,
1: but I want to so keep you've going. you've gotten, you've gotten, so you've gotten Spain, Singapore, France, Japan, Canada, and Monaco. So you've got six out of the nine.
0: Oh wow! <laughs> um, my next guest is going to be Zonvort.
1: Oh, Zonvort is not one of them.
0: Oh really? Okay, wait, wait.
1: Can I? Yeah. I've. Oh, okay. Wait. What about Baku? Baku is also not one of them.
0: Ah, uh, damn.
1: Okay. Okay. Then I, I give up. I, I can't think of any others. Okay, so in order from first to nine, Spain, Singapore, France, Yas Marina. Oh, Yas Marina. Circuit of the Americas. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, Australia, Japan, Canada, Monaco. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So look at that. Wow, I (laughs) I
0: guess I wouldn't have thought Australia at first, but that, I guess, makes sense. Well, also, Mm -hmm. I I don't think I really would have thought of CODA either as like a super high pole to win ratio. But yeah,
1: I was also very surprised when I saw that. I was like, oh, we're going to a track where there's well, see, this does not indicate anything about the overtaking. This is just like the pole position win rate.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I feel like you can kind of like um, derive kind of conclusions from that, though. Yeah. That is is Monaco being ninth is a lot lower than I thought it would be. Like, honestly, I thought it would be, yeah, I was very surprised. Do you happen to
1: have like the percentages? Yeah. Let me, let me see if I can like find this. Like, let me find the link that I was using. Um, Okay. It's okay if you don't
0: like actively have it. But, um, while you look that up, I, I will transition us into our next segment. Cope corner. Yeah. Where we give our hot takes or predictions for the weekend. See, I don't, I only have one and I don't really know if it's a hot take. And that is that, okay. because it, because it's happened 100% of the time, um, and that is that Charles Leclerc will continue his streak of not finishing at Monaco, and mm. he will have a second consecutive either DNF or, well, I mean, it wouldn't be another DNS, but he will have either a DNF or a DNS this weekend.
1: Okay, interesting. I mean, I feel like I can, that's just like an easy, like, I, I can get behind that. I feel like... As unfortunate as it will be to see Charles DNF two races in a row. I mean, he kind of has a reputation for himself to not kind of finish at Monaco. But Justin, I am unable to find this link. I promise I like this is this is completely reasonable. Like this was not like Fouguese or anything. I promise. I I believe you. I believe
0: you. No worries.
1: Um, but my co corner, um, I'm kind of just going to lightly brush over my first one. I cannot stand this track. Like I said it before, one of my least favorite, if not my least favorite track on the F1 calendar total nostalgia merchant just bullshit
0: like we're going back to your old just lukewarm takes where you're like i don't like this track
1: yeah but like i don't know f1 seems to care or quote unquote care about history at certain points but then you know we have races at like places like bahrain abu dhabi qatar and abu or uh saudi arabia right like four races in the middle east that were all joined in the last 10 years but it is what it is now my actual like somewhat spicy take is that I agree with your Charles DNF, but I raise you a Max Verstappen DNF. I I contend that there will be an (laughs) incident between these two drivers who have been scrapping it out since the karting days, and there will be an incident somewhere on the track. And as a result, Sergio Perez will be given justice for the horrifying team orders that were handed out last weekend in Barcelona. Max would have have won
0: that race regardless
1: of the team I I, I I don't care. Just, I don't like when people are mean to Checo. Okay. Me, also putting him P6, so me being mean. But that doesn't help my narrative. But Perez will win the fir- his first and his third ever race in F1, and he will win the Monaco Grand Prix. And he will be either joint or clear P1 in the WDC standings, which would then force Red Bull to admit that they cannot always prioritize Max Verstappen.
0: Yeah, I mean Red Bull would never Red Bull would never admit that like publicly because they like I yeah. don't think they believe that. Obviously they're always going to prioritize Max, but I really hope you carry this into our pre-race predictions. I really hope that Checo gets your your race winner <laughs> prediction then.
1: Yeah. I so here's my thing. And this is like I guess more of like an open-ended discussion, but if Checo somehow gets like the 26 points for winning and fastest lap and then becomes one point ahead of max, like, is that Christian Horner's worst nightmare of like low key that Checo has more points?
0: Well, cause then you, ha- cause then obviously if that happens and you're Checo, you're like, well, I'm obviously just as equally competing here Yeah. Um, for points. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously max would have had two more DNFs than Checo at that point, And he would he'd only be equal or one point ahead. And mm-hmm. I think that would be an issue, but then I think Checo would, obviously, they've been racing their whole lives. He's not going to get out of the way Yeah. Um. if he finally has the chance to get ahead. But like we've been talking exactly. about, um, Max and Charles most of the time, I feel like, are are just way ahead of Carlos and oh, Checo yeah, during yeah, yeah. the races that I don't really feel like in the future mm-hmm. Checo really even has a chance at, at winning um, yeah. a lot of the races that I those agree. two are going to be competing with unless like some fluky mm-hmm. thing happens like, you know, Both of them DNFing, which is kind of like a like it's sort of what you're implying that like Checo will only and I I also agree with it. Checo will only win if if they're not racing against him. Um, Oh yeah yeah yeah. So I don't know. It's a very con. It's a very it's it's a multifaceted argument, (laughs) Sasha.
1: Oh yes, all about the multifaceted things. But I guess we can on that note move into pre race predictions and. I guess I can just jump in on this. I am going to take Charles on pole and I will stick with my hot take Justin. I will take Sergio Perez to win the Monaco Grand Prix this year. <sighs> I
0: am going to go for pole that finally we will have another constructor on top because George Russell will get pole in Monaco this oh weekend. Oh
1: my god. Are you and serious?
0: I I truly believe it. Like I I think it could happen. And I think okay. Max would have to have a bad weekend and I think Charles is just going to crash into a wall. So I don't really have to worry about him. <laughs> um but I I do enough. believe <laughs> that the Mercedes is close enough in pace where maybe George can mm-hmm. can kind of push that car and I'm I mean this isn't okay. like really long straights where the Red Bull is going to succeed. So it's not like they have like Okay. these sections of the track where they're going to be so so much better than everyone else and i really feel mm-hmm. like if there's a time for mercedes to finally kind of come back into the light then it's this weekend and we know that they can george russell podium last weekend and lewis hamilton got back into p5 and he would have been p4 had they not had those fuel issues at the end of barcelona so i mm-hmm. i really think mercedes is turning over a new leaf with their car this year and I, I think it's going to come to fruition in qualifying. Um, yeah. And then for my race winner, I also have George Russell because, you know, uh, interesting. I, I kind of just want to switch it up a bit. And I know I'm going to regret wow. this. I, okay. I know I'm going to regret this, but I really wanted to switch it up. And, you know, maybe in my heart, I'm like, okay, Max has obviously got this in the bag. Or, you know, why would you ever wow. choose against okay. Charles getting pole in Monaco? Because even though he doesn't finish races, a lot of times he does mm-hmm. get pole. But, I, um, I really want yeah. Russell, to be here, <laughs> which I guess kind of then takes us into our next question, which is only worth five points. as always, our pulse or race winner questions are worth ten points, but for five points, will we have a new Monica winner? um, which obviously my answer would then be yes, but are are you still yeah, going with your Checo yes well. prediction for race winner?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, okay. I, I took Checo for race win. I yeah, I think so I guess both of us are taking a yes on this one. And obviously, that does kind of segue into our fourth question, which is also worth 10 points in that will the person on pole win the race? I have obviously by a Charles poll and a Cheka win. My answer is obviously no. By your George poll, George win is obviously a yes.
0: So unless I wanted to like hedge my bet, unless I wanted to hedge my bets and then not do it, but I won't. <laughs> But that's Um, that's just like a little like cop outy. Like (laughs) Wow, wow, okay, okay. I see how it is. But yeah, no, I'll say yes. The personal poll will win the race. Um, Yeah, fair enough. Do I want to see George Russell succeed? No. Um Do I think he will? (laughs) Probably. Like he's gonna be good eventually. Yeah. Also, like Yeah, I agree. Now now that we have wrapped up our pre-race predictions, uh, I think we can finally end the episode. We're about like well over an hour into this. And an hour, yeah. Uh, for anyone listening on Spotify, if you are wondering what the three two one like or not the three two one, whatever Sashwat did earlier when he said we'll be right back. We are finally testing out, just running a, a quick little ad on the on the podcast. So if you have Spotify Premium, you might not have heard it. Uh and if you did hear it, um, thank you. It just supports us. Like we're trying to start monetizing this thing. So we really appreciate the mm-hmm. help as always. We will see you guys on Sunday for the checkered flag episode. Hopefully we have a lot to talk about. I feel like a lot of the races we've underestimated this year have ended up being pretty good. So um, obviously, please rate us five stars. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram at f One pod And we will see you guys on Sunday. Peace. Have a good one, guys.